You are listening to a podcast from Influence Church. We hope it encourages and empowers you to make a difference in your world for the kingdom of God. For any more information, visit our website, influencechurch.co.uk. Enjoy the message. Those of you who have never met me, I'm Ed. That uh, that'll do. Um, so, so uh, uh, yeah, I'm uh, the location pastor over in Penrith. And uh, over the last, uh, we've been doing church in Penrith six years now. Would you believe? Uh, over the last six years, when I've come here, I haven't always brought a good report. It's not always been good. But can I tell you, things are on the up. You know. Can I tell you? Um, so <laughs> things are on the up. I shouldn't. Uh, yeah, but no. Uh, to be honest, God, God is really moving in Penrith, and I'm excited to see what's happening, uh, what's going to happen over the the next year. And um, yeah, we've just been really blessed. We've got a great bunch of people, and uh, that's a good start, isn't it? So uh, that's good. We're excited to see people's lives being changed over the next year and whatever. But anyway, I'm not here to bring a good report or, or not. I, I'm here to preach and we're, we're, um, we're talking about our Vision Month series, Scattered, and uh, this is the almost finale. Next week is the final, the grand final. It, uh, this week is uh, the, the, third, the week before the final. So uh, we'll call it the semi-final. And um, it's good. Pete's had a haircut for the occasion. It's <laughs> glory. He's looking good, actually. And... Um, uh, yeah, uh, it's, it's, and uh, yeah, I've lost exactly what I was going to say, but, um, but within this, uh, obviously, hope, hopefully you've been challenged, hopefully you've, you've kind of grasped so far what it means as a church for us to be scattered, that we have been sent somewhere. The idea isn't that we're just here uh, so as we can come together, have a great time, have a bit of a natter, a bit of a catch up, and then go home and say that was church. You know, the, the idea is that we, we, we gather together so that we are sent out. So we are the church that's scattered. If yeah, you can kind of imagine and re- remember Rise Conference, it wasn't that long ago. But uh, Rise Conference, what I loved about it was it was the church as a whole, uh, across all our locations church, gathered together. Um, but we haven't just stayed there. We haven't decided to close all the other locations and just keep gathering on a weekly basis, no, we've been scattered to our different locations with the idea that, that God wants to do something in us and through us where we are. And we have been scattered somewhere. You know, I don't know what brings you to this place today. I don't know if you've been coming for a long time. I don't know if this happens to be your first week. If it is, hello. But, if, um, but, but somewhere along the reason that there is a why that has brought us here. The, 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 it isn't a shock, as Pastor Gail was saying, uh, that you're here. Uh, God isn't shocked. He isn't really surprised that you're in this room today. You might be. You might be surprised uh, that you're in here. You might be surprised with who sat next to you. You may, might be surprised that after all this time, you'll still come in here. It might be a shock to you, but it isn't a shock to God that God has plans and purposes far above what we can see. Uh, and and that that he has positioned us here to do something in us so therefore he can do something through us. 
Uh, and, you know, when I, when I think of the why that, that's brought us here, the, the why that has brought me uh, into this church, I guess, starts with my parents many years ago and probably even goes back as far as my mum becoming a Christian at 15 years old. Uh, I, I spoke to her this morning and I, I do every Sunday morning and um, uh, I asked her if it was all right to share some of this. I was like, good, because I've already shared it three times. Um, so, uh, yeah, it is, <laughs> you know, it's better to ask, what is it, better to do and then say sorry, that kind of thing. So, so but um, my mum became a Christian when she was 15 years old or around about that time. And, and she lived in a fairly abusive, not very nice household and said she escaped to church as a safe environment to, to come. And then... Um, her life moved on. She ended up getting married, and then uh, that marriage didn't work out. But what that marriage had done is relocate her somewhere else where my, my wonderful father swooped onto the scene, and they met in a church, and uh, they then got married. And somewhere along the way, I came along, and uh, those of you who uh, know our family know that, that I also have a brother uh, who's kind of irrelevant to most of the story, so we kind of, we, we, we leave him out, but... Um, but the, the second-born son was the one who got the anointing, uh, you know. It, it's like, uh, you know, when, when Jacob um, crossed arms and bled, yeah, so it was a bit like that. So, um, yeah, uh, so uh, then, then um, my mum, who worked in the bank for 17 years, decided to retrain and become a Baptist minister. Of all the things to decide to do with your life, it was a strange request, a strange call, but she decided to retrain, and her, her first posting was this place called Kirby Stephen in Cumbria, which is uh, where we eventually moved to. So we get moved up here, sell everything, come up, everything's going great. Well, until sort of day one of the job when they decide that they don't want her. Uh, she never actually did ever become a Baptist minister. They, they left a sign on the door of the manse saying, we've changed our mind. Uh, and therefore, my parents at this time were beginning to say, why? You know, why? What, what's going on? Why? You know, as you can imagine, they're kind of having to rush to buy a house and, um, or rent a house. And they, said, they went in and said, have you got anything? And the, the people uh, in the estate agents were like, we've got nothing. And then, they, you know, it's like, oh, we do have this one house. And, you know, you, you know if it's that one house, it's not a good thing. Okay, it's like, you know, we can't really rent this to you, but if you want somewhere to live, yeah. So uh, this house that we rented had no uh, water. Well, it had water, but it came from a lead mine, so you couldn't drink out the tap. I remember little fishes would appear sometimes uh, in the bath. Uh, the, it was terrible damp. Um, you know, the neighbor, I've told the story before, the neighbor would come and knock on the door and say, I've come for a bath. And, uh, you know, they lived in a caravan. And... Um, from the place that we lived in rural Gloucestershire, which was beautiful, uh, and we had our own very grand treehouse people, um, when we moved to this place in Cumbria, I, even at eight years old, was thinking, why? Okay? Um, you know, you're thinking, surely everything's been taken away from me that was fun and nice, and I, I'm here now. And uh, I guess it's only when I'm 32 and I look back and I can see that Part of that struggle and everything was to position me to be here. That if, if it hadn't have been for that disappointment, then my mum would have been a Baptist minister. Uh, and we probably would have never come to church in Richmond. But because we didn't have a church, we came to church in Richmond. Uh, and then through that, I guess I've grown up here. We've planted church. I've had a huge part to do with playing that. I wouldn't say it's all on me. But, but, but you, can see, you, can see, you can see that God is in control. 
that even in, you know, largely unscathed for me, I wasn't particularly bothered of any of this. But for my parents, there was a lot of trauma, a lot of things that they went through that has created space for me to be here today. And um, I just want to say, whatever you're going through right now, perhaps you're in the middle of something. Perhaps I even get a sense there's maybe someone in here who is strongly questioning God in this room. I, I just get a sense that the in a few years' time, you'll be able to step back and see the why you are having to go through this, that you're not seeing the answered prayers, that there are struggles, that things are hard at the moment, that, that you know, you've maybe got depression or, or whatever it is, that, 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 that one day you'll be able to look back and think, I serve a faithful God. And my encouragement is to stick in there. But, but to actually get back on track with what I'm talking about today, which isn't just to encourage you to stick in there, although it is, because... We, we haven't just been positioned here out of randomness, but we've been positioned here to be God's hands and feet. And some of you, you might be looking at the why and thinking, I don't know why God has put me in Richmond. I, I don't know. I maybe came here for a job. That job isn't uh, around anymore, but I, for whatever reason, I'm still here and I'm questioning it. I just want to encourage and pull out of you that we have been scattered somewhere today. Uh, and the somewhere that we've been scattered is Richmond, North, North Yorkshire, or surrounding areas, whether it's Catterick or some of the other villages. And, and it isn't by mistake. It isn't a shock to God. You're here. And I guess we actually just need to uh, get up to speed with what God wants to do in us and through us. And um, we can find a lot of, I guess, encouragement from um, Acts chapter 8 in the Bible, which is one of those uh, passages in the Bible where looking at it with hindsight, you can see the why. But living in it at the time, you must have been thinking, like, God, what are you doing? Because Acts chapter 7 ends with the stoning of Stephen, the first martyr, uh, and it, it's not good. Uh, and you think in Acts chapter 8, when, when um, you begin to read the titles, the church is scattered and persecuted. You begin to think, well, it's not good news, you know. Uh, and uh, you think, but there, but there is with hindsight, we, we're able to see that actually God was working all things together. Because he is faithful and he does have a plan. Um, but at the time for these people, uh, the, their world is being turned upside down. This guy called Saul, who we know as Paul, um, is you know, just putting people in prison, having people put to death. Uh, and it's all going on. And in the midst of that, what looks like persecution is actually the birthplace of revival uh, within the church being scattered to the corners of the earth. You see that Jesus had said in Acts chapter 1 that um, the, the, the disciples and the apostles and the gospel uh, was going to go from Jerusalem to Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth, including Richmond, North Yorkshire. But actually up to that point in Acts chapter uh, 8, the gospel hadn't gone anywhere other than Jerusalem. Um, and I'm sure if God had said, actually, it's going to go to the ends of the earth, uh, and this is how it's going to happen, they maybe would have said, I'm out. Just like some of us. If, in hindsight, we maybe be looking back and thinking, I've actually been through all of that, and God's so good and faithful, and look at all the people whose lives have been changed through all of that. But if God had told you in that moment that that was what was going to come upon you in life, you might have just said, I'm out. But, but actually, um, they that actually through all of that, God had a plan. And he, so he, he says in Acts 1, you're going to go. And in Acts chapter 8, through the persecution, it pushes them to go. And, and we're going to read from um, Acts chapter 8, right from the very start. Um, 
chapter one, uh, no, verse one, would you believe, is the very start. Um, and it, it says, and Saul approved of their killing him. This is obviously linking to uh, Stephen, who, who has been killed. And it says, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the, apostle, the apostles were scattered through Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned him deeply. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word everywhere they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many were paralyzed or, uh, or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. I love that. It's the first time, can I say, in four times that I've preached this, that when it came to shrieks, I didn't go, wow, like that. Um, I guess I just have, yeah. But um, <laughs> wait till we're in Bishop Auckland tonight. They're getting the big one. So um, <laughs> it's the last time, isn't it? We burn the notes after that. But um, it's interesting what these first eight verses of Acts chapter 8 are telling us. That it, it starts with actually the church is persecuted and scattered. They're in the, they've got, been sent to these random places. Uh, Saul is destroying the church, or at least attempting to, uh, and yet there is good things happening. Uh, people, uh, it says, you know, people are listening to what's being said. Um, you know, impure spirits are coming out of people. The paralyzed and the lame are healed. It says there was great joy in the city. That, that what starts with pain ends with uh, revival and with great joy. And I, I love that. And, uh, but I, I do find it interesting that it says... All but the apostles were scattered because uh, you think, well, you're getting out of it, aren't you? Um, but, but actually, they had a job to stay in, obviously, in Jerusalem and, and do what they needed to do. But what, they, what it meant by them staying there was it opened the door to everyone else to actually be able to be God's hands and feet wherever they were going. And this guy, Philip, finds himself in Samaria. And, um, and, and Philip isn't everyone else. You know, we don't know a great deal about him. We, we obviously know from Acts chapter 6 that along with Stephen, he was chosen to look after some of the practical needs of the church. We know he was a man of wisdom and full of the Holy Spirit, which isn't bad as a little reference for who you are as a person. Um, but apart from that, we don't know a lot. His job was basically dealing with angry widows who um, were moaning about how they were being treated, how they weren't being fed on time and all this kind of thing. So he, he had quite an important job, uh, you know, to keep them at bay. It would have been a full-time job, I can imagine. But he, um, outside of that, we don't know a lot about Philip. He just has a simple practical job within the church to enable the apostles, you know, the great men, to be able to do the praying, the teaching, the preaching. But suddenly, through this persecution, it's opened the door for Philip's time, for his turn, for his moment, to actually be what God had called him to be, which was an evangelist. Uh, and he goes to this place called Samaria. Now, Samaria wouldn't particularly have been every person at that point in time in history, everyone's first destination. You know, it'd be a bit like Workington. You know what I'm saying? We've all been there. Come on. It's, I love that place. I love that place. Yeah. So um, everyone's in shock, aren't they? Wow. No, but... 
No, actually, when I'm about to give this definition of what Samaria was like, it's nothing like Workington, all right, people? But, um, you know, like the, the Jews at the time typically hated the, Samar- the Samaritans um, because they saw them as half-breed people, okay, which is nothing like Workington. We're saying that because, um, yeah, but, yeah, I'm joking, I'm joking. It is their first birthday today, people, so... Uh, yeah, turning, turning it around so everyone's, yeah, yeah, come on. Um, awesome, but um, <laughs> yeah, great cake. Um, so um, yeah, the, the Jews at the time hated, didn't like the Samaritans. They saw them as half-breed people because um, when, when Israel was conquered and uh, people from afar came in uh, and brought, I guess, a pagan population to this area of northern Israel called Samaria, uh, what, what they did was they began to interbreed with these low classes of Jews, creating the Samaritan, okay? So the Samaritan, in the eyes of the Jew, wasn't really a Jew. It was a half-breed. And therefore, they were, there was a lot of racial hatred. Uh, there was a lot of prejudice. So therefore, <clears throat> for Philip, who was a Jewish Christian, it maybe wouldn't have been his first choice of place to come, I think. <clears throat> it's because I said this stuff about Workington. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, God. Um, (coughs) I think we're all good. We might not be. I might fall over and die, but um, it'll be entertaining. Someone post it, please. Mm. Mm. Is everyone okay, by the way? Because, um, right. But, But Jesus had obviously done a lot to try and break down these prejudices. He tells the story of the good Samaritan, um, which would have, in that, when you understand that context, it's like, oh, right, okay. Uh, and then he obviously had the encounter with the Samaritan woman. And, and, but Philip gets sent there. And um, Philip obviously isn't a racist, which is good, and uh, attempts to meet these people where they're at, begin to interact with them, and obviously God shows up and lives are changed. But he is, he's sent to this place this area where these people are absolutely nothing like him. And my challenge for us today is, where is our Samaria? If you think of that context of what Samaria was, where are the people who are nothing like us? You know, we've all been scattered somewhere, and we we have understood that where we've been scattered is here, in Richmond and surrounding areas. Well, perhaps God is calling us to go to the people who aren't like us. And what I mean by that is, they're not comfortable in church today. Uh, they're not worshipping God currently. That perhaps they're going through things. Perhaps you live next door to them. That the, the, These people aren't the sort of people that um, are already in the walls of this church. You know, we might find them at work. Might find them in the pub. Might find them at a protest, which I guess is something that happens often at the moment. Might find them at a street corner. Might find them... Uh, on, in your neighborhood, well, they may even live next door. But, you know, we have been scattered to make a difference where we are. And who has God positioned you near? Where is your Samaria? Samaria where they're not like us. Well, who has God positioned, positioned you near for you to encounter them, just like Philip encountered the people of Samaria? Who needs good news today? Not in this room, but outside of this room. You know, some of us in here have have been through and are going through awful things. And I I don't want to do that down, but 
most of the people I speak to who are going through things say, I'm so glad I've got God. And I'm so glad I've got a church family. And, and they, they find real strength and hope knowing that God is in control, knowing that he is a faithful God, knowing that they have the support group. But many of the people outside of these walls are still going through horrendous things. And that is not their reality. They haven't got God. They haven't got a supportive church family. They are, they are just in their Samaria, wandering around, perhaps, um, you know, alone, struggling, whatever, perhaps having a great time and not even realizing that there's more to life. You know, not everyone is down and out. Perhaps they are wealthy, successful, whatever, but they're not like us. They haven't understood that God has called them for a life of obedience to him. And therefore, our job as the church is to tell them. You know, as Christians, we can get so comfortable within this environment. And when we become comfortable, um, we don't want to leave, in truth, you know, because it's great. And we have a great time in here. And I'm glad that we are a, a loving church family. And I love that um, I've got friends here that are like family. But, but actually, there, there is so much more that, uh, the, um, for, there is so much more that God wants to do through us as a church than for us just to be sat in here. Because when you get comfortable and you don't want to leave, then it's when you become precious about things and precious about where you sit, precious about your role within the church and precious about all these different things and then arguments start forming and then the, the thing that it's not meant to be about gets, gets priority Whereas actually the thing it's meant to be about loses out, which is the fact that it doesn't really matter. I'm, I'm glad this place is clean and tidy and I'm glad someone cares enough to do something with that. But the purpose of us as a church gathered here today isn't that we can come make sure that we're in a row, make sure we're, we're all, uh, all our ducks are in a row, that we've said hello to everyone that we always say hello to every Sunday. But our purpose as a church in here is to get encouraged, to get built up so as we can go out to our Samaria and find the people who aren't like us and make a difference in their lives. You know, there's, there's a guy called Paul Scanlon um, who wrote a book called Crossing Over, which detailed the transformation of his church in Bradford. Um, at that time, his church had, was based in the poorest postcode in England, um, which is pretty rough, let's be honest. Um, and uh, having been to that church in Bradford, it is in quite a rough area, I'll give it that. But... Um, um, he, he details taking himself off the front row, off the platform, and sitting in the pews of a church and, and observing his church and realizing just how comfortable everyone is and that people would leave their um, handbags on a seat and nip off and chat to someone else and not even think twice about that. And to be honest, in North Yorkshire, that's probably okay, okay? But in Bradford at the time, that would not have been the norm outside the walls of that church. And he began to think, well, our church, which was largely white and middle class, does not represent our community in any way, shape or form because we're comfortable in here. And he realized as the leader that something had to change. And he, he began, uh, as he details in this book called Crossing Over, of creating a new church um, uh, from within a church and telling people things aren't going to be the same and begins to bossing, you know, people from the community. And the, the people that were there and comfortable didn't like it. 
They, they, the people who were there uncomfortable often were leaving because it wasn't the church that they'd signed up for. They suddenly couldn't sit in the same seat because there was someone in there who might have nicked their stuff. You know, where, whereas actually that church began to represent and make a difference in the society in which it was placed. Our job in here isn't that it's us and them, but actually our job is that we would infiltrate them. That God has sent his church to go almost behind enemy lines, to, to make a difference, to actually be the... That's why we've been sent. That's why we've been scattered. That is one of the whys. I believe God will have a personal mandate for you. But one of the whys that you have landed here in North Yorkshire is to make a difference for his kingdom. As simple as that. So, my first point, I don't know if it came on the screen, but was Samaria. The second thing is that we look at what Philip did, and that was that he preached. He preached wherever he went. Now, what we understand about Philip compared to the apostles, excuse me, and disciples, was that he, he wasn't a teacher, as it were, and therefore he wouldn't have had any formal training uh, he'd have been a layman, as it was. And, and therefore, what he's doing where it says he went around preaching everywhere, he was simply just sharing the good news. The, the Greek definition of that word preach mentioned there simply means to share the good news. When we think of preaching, we think of this, don't we? Someone stood on a stage shouting at you, making jokes about another location of church, upsetting a few people, uh, and then coming off. That, that, that's what we think of. But in, in, in truth, actually what... What is defined in Acts chapter 8, when we see all the miraculous stuff that God did, was simply a bloke, and probably a few friends, sharing the good news. When you put it like that, that isn't any one job. You know, the preacher's been written, people. All we've got to think about is, what has God done in our life? What has he done for you? What, what, how has he transformed your life? I just think, well, I've been saved once for all time. Like, that will preach. That will preach. I, I think that I've got a hope and a future, as Marie was saying, that that will preach. People don't find hope often. People struggle to find that. To people who don't think that their life will amount to anything, to know that there is a future prepared for them, to know that actually life is worth living because we serve a faithful God, that will preach to those people. You kind of, um, you know, you think, who is there? in the school playground who needs some good news? Who is there at work who needs some good news? Who do you live near who needs some good news? I love that we can say that, uh, that God has given us a seat at his table. I love that. That will preach to um, a generation that needs acceptance and approval to know that actually, you know, you might feel like a misfit in society, but there is a place for you at God's table. He has prepared a seat for you. You know, that will preach. We can encourage people. We can get around people that they have a hope and a future, that there is a seat, that, that actually approval is found only in Christ, that we have a message of a life-changing, all-powerful God coming down to earth and, and coming into relationship with us. We didn't deserve it. We were far from him, but we have an incredible message of love that actually will preach to people uh, right where they are. The message has been written. All it needs is a few everybodies, a few Philips in here today who are willing to say, actually, I'm willing to 
actually step out and share that message with people. It really doesn't have to be hard. You know, evangelism isn't standing on a street corner with a megaphone shouting at people. Evangelism is just sharing the good news, sharing what God's doing in your life, sharing answers to prayer. And I love, and I can't, I can't highlight with, uh, I can't highlight this point without mentioning. I love there were signs and wonders in Samaria. You know, who is there in your life who needs healing? Who is there in your life that actually needs a wonder from God? Needs a miracle from God? Who needs a financial miracle from God? Who has God positioned you ar- around? You know, sometimes I think we can be so inward looking that, hey, oh God, will you come do this in my life? Where God's saying, I- I've resourced you enough to go and make a difference. You know, we, we don't, you don't need everything that we're always praying for. Actually, if you think, actually, me plus the, the power of the Holy Spirit working in me is enough to make a difference. And that's what Philip was seeing, that actually with the power of the Holy Spirit and him having the courage for that conversation, it made a difference in people's lives. And I love that there were signs and wonders. And, you know, I just, the challenge, if one of us as accidental missionaries which is what Philip was. You know, he had a position in church, finds himself as a missionary somewhere else. If one of us would just begin to have courage for the conversation, and that's, that's one of my, my prayers for us today, and we're going to do a bit of praying at the end, if that's all right, is that you would have courage to actually just begin to speak out what God has done in you. My final point, you'd be pleased to know, although there is a couple of little points at the end, but they're not really listed as points. So my final, my final point is this. It's always about people, you know, and we don't always see results. In, in Acts 8, 9 to 13, it says this. Now, for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and ex- exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. And I love that we meet Simon in in Acts chapter 8. I mean, Acts chapter 8 does go on to say Simon needs a little bit more discipleship. That actually, you know, he gets a stern rebuke and a stern telling off from Peter and John when they rock up and he's trying to buy the power of the Holy Spirit. But, uh, but, but you know, we, but actually let, let's center around the good of Simon. That this was a notable man in the town, that people were flocking to him um, and his magic trick and his magic show, which is total blasphemy. But, it, it, but actually... Philip comes along, probably without the pomp and ceremony that Simon had, and people's lives are getting changed. Miracles are happening, and people start moving from Simon's prayer line to Philip's prayer line, and actually, people start um, believing, it says, and being baptized, and it says that Simon himself believed and was baptized, and I, I love that we meet Simon. He's someone notable in the community. His life is transformed, and it, what I love specifically, is he is named as someone. You know, sometimes when we think of evangelism, we think of reaching our town. It's just nameless people. Oh, I need to go into Lidl and have a look at someone, but I don't know them. I need to see how I can get the message of Jesus to them in Lidl. Um, You know, whereas actually there are people who are named to you. There are people like Simon 
maybe even notable people in this town, people who you know by name, they are a friend, they are a family, they are a relation, maybe just an acquaintance, but they are known by name to you. And actually, I believe that one of the things that God was speaking to me about through this is, is actually the importance of actually reaching out to those people. That this isn't just about the nameless faces as, as much as we want to reach everywhere, but actually God has resourced us with a group of people who if we just began to share the good news with, perhaps we would see their lives change. You know, Philip's job was literally scattering the seeds. You know, Simon needed a bit more discipleship somewhere along the way. That's up to someone else. Philip's job was to go and share the gospel. You know, if we share the gospel with people, we invite them to church. It's up to someone else to disciple them then, so you're off the hook. Uh, but, but, but our job is just to be, be sent to this certain place which we are to scatter seeds and to see people's lives change. It really isn't that hard. It really isn't that hard. And just as I, as I respond, I, it's interesting as, uh, as we just kind of go as a band, I guess, if you want to come up. Um, what was I meant to say? Come up or something like that, wasn't I? Yeah. Um, we did talk briefly before about me saying it in a booming voice. But uh, um, in, in Acts chapter 8, just as we close, is, is, it's interesting that once it finishes in Samaria, and we that God calls Peter, uh, Philip somewhere else. And he calls him to um, the desert of all places. In Acts 8, 26, he says, Now the angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And I guess by Christian standards, you kind of think, Philip's done all right in Samaria. You know, and as Christians, we're terrible. We rape people. You know, oh, the preacher preached those five responses, did a great job. You know, it's that kind of thing. So as far as Philip's, uh, Philip's been in Samaria, he's done a great job. And yet I love that God then sends him to the desert. We don't know much about the desert other than there's not a lot there. It's the desert, okay? You know, the things there, they eat you. Um, they're aggressive. There's not much water there. There's not much fun in the desert. Yet actually he moves from this place called Samaria to the desert. And, um, and there, would you believe, he then encounters this high-ranking official um, who was the treasure, the, the, in charge of the treasury of the queen of Ethiopia. He encounters this man in the desert. And I love that God would send him to this random place on pursuit of one man, would position him in this place on pursuit of one man. And you know, I've really got a sense that there's perhaps some of you who maybe feel like this is the desert. I don't know where you've come from. I don't know what you're going through. But it kind of feels like this is a desert season in life. Whether that's geographically or not, that's up for debate. It's quite green in North Yorkshire. But, but perhaps mentally, physically, emotionally, whatever, it feels like this is a desert season in life. Can I just encourage you, there is fruit in the desert. That there is water in the desert. That there's people, even in the midst of your desert season, who need transformation in life. And that God has perhaps positioned you here to make a difference in someone else's life. And uh, I love that we see that in, uh, in, in Acts chapter 8. And God's instruction to Philip, I, I've written a blog on this this week, a devotion, daily devotion. So I'll go into it in more detail in that devotion. But in, in Acts eight twenty nine, the Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. That was the only command that God had given him. He says, you know, go to the desert, 
right? I'm in the desert. Second time God speaks to him, he says, go to that chariot and stay near it. And I just got a sense that some, some of us maybe feel that God has positioned us here for a reason, but we're always pulling, trying to look somewhere else, trying to look over our shoulder, perhaps actually, no, God, maybe you want me to do this. You want me to move to Barbados or somewhere. You know, you're looking for something else. And I I believe that the, the call of God was just simply to you, go to that chariot and stay near it. And you need to be faithful with that and the God and understand um, the positioning that God has put you in. You see, if Philip hadn't have been near that chariot, he'd have never heard the man reading the word of God and it would have never given him a way in. So this may feel like the desert to you, but God has positioned you here to make a difference in people's lives. And my final, final, final reflection on Philip is, is from Acts 21 verse 8 says, leaving the next day, this is Luke obviously talking about him and Paul and whatever. He says, leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven. And I love this verse for multiple reasons. One is the full circle that this Saul, as we know him, who was persecuting the church, killed the guy that Philip worked with, is now Paul, the, the man who is transforming the world for Christ. And he says he goes and stays at Philip the Evangelist's house. And I love that for that reason of full circle. That's the grace of God. Um, But the second thing is I I love that he was called Philip the Evangelist. You see, what we know about Philip is that that, uh, he did a very practical job in church. Didn't seem like it was a lot, perhaps. Some of you are thinking he's just looking after a few widows. You know, Pete does food bank, you know. But But actually, it's not relevant in any way, shape or form, is it? Um, but actually, what I love is he, he wasn't, that he was known as Philip the Evangelist. He was known for the good news that he shared. That actually, he might have seemed like he just did this job of feeding the people, but actually the call of God on his life was to be an evangelist. And, and sometimes I, I, I think, you know, and the same for Pete, I, I don't believe that, that the call of God is for him to run a food bank. I think there's so much more on your life. And, uh, but, but the job, the, 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 that sometimes we can get weighed down by the title we've been given. That's the point I'm going to make. That, that actually, don't be weighed down by the title that people have given you, but actually strive for the call that God has put on your life. Some, sometimes we can be like, I'm, I'm too hemmed in, I'm too, I'm too pigeoned in, and actually release yourself and say, actually, God has called me to be an evangelist, so I'm going to be an evangelist. Whether I'm wearing a blue T-shirt or not, I'm an evangelist for the kingdom of God. Okay, I'm done. They're all my sub points. What I want us to do now is maybe something a bit different, but I want you to pray. And these are the three areas I've highlighted. The first one is that we would have courage for the conversation. The second is that we would have courage for the desert road. And the third one is that revival would start here. That would come from this place as we go out and live what God is going to do. And I want you to pray. So with the people around you, I'm just going to encourage you to maybe get into groups of threes or fours. I mean, there's quite a few people in here. And just begin to pray with those people and be honest with people. If you say, I struggle with sharing my faith, you need courage for the conversation. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would impart that to you today. If you're saying, I feel like I'm in a desert season, will someone pray? I pray that you would receive a word today that just spurs you into that season. Uh, And I believe that we can see revival start from this place. So let's pray for it.
let's pray for it. So let's all stand. Let's find people around us. And let's begin to be the church in action. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Influence Church. For any more information, visit our website, influencechurch.co.uk. Influence Church, empowering you to make a difference in your world for the kingdom of God.